and trembling. Working out salvation in this context seems to make reference to the deliverance that their own church is enduring. The problems that they are enduring. To say working out your salvation says let the salvation have its effect within your body. Consider the gospel and do so with fear and trembling. Why? Well, because it's God that's working in you. You get that? God is working in you. So there needs to be a fear, a trembling, the sense of humility to know our sense of weakness and our need for God. That there is always to be within a community of faith. I need God. We need God. And the the church that loses that sense of dependence on God has lost its bearing. And so he says, fear and trembling a sense of divine concern and being serious about the work because God is the one looking and watching. He is constantly at work within us. As wonderful it is as a church to have notable people in our community here with us, there's none as notable as the presence of God. You know, it's not that we put our best foot forward because our guests are here. It's always that God's presence is here. And that, that he overshadows any other person uh, of note. It says, to work out is the same idea where we get the word energize. We are energized by the fact that God is working within us. There's a, a story of uh, Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, the, the beautiful tapestry. That this tapestry was on a monastery wall for years without the monks in this monastery ever knowing the value that dirt and grime built up on this tapestry as it was on the wall. It was between the kitchen and the dining table. So you can imagine all the the cooking and the greases that would accumulate on this tapestry over the years. When they realized what, what this was, that this was not just wall hanging, but this was Leonardo da Vinci's tapestry. Well, they needed to do something about it. Two ladies were conscripted by the Roman church to clean it. They cleaned it up a quarter-sized piece a day. What did you do this day? Well, I took that little quarter-sized piece of tapestry And I put it under a magnifying glass, and they studied it one filament at a time, and every flick of filament to determine if the paint was of da Vinci or some later paint or grime. And once they determined that in that quarter-sized piece, then they removed all that was not of Leonardo da Vinci. Why did they do that? Because it was Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci's work. Listen. A church, a community of faith, belongs to God. It is His work. And there is within the Word of God revealing God's attention by His Holy Spirit to work within it. And it may be a quarter person a day, a portion of us a day, that God is bringing attention to us to help mold us into His image. Let me just share some verses with you. 1 Corinthians 6, 19. It says, What? Do you not know that your body is the temple of God? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. 
The body belongs to God. Church also belongs to God. Just as your human body belongs to the Lord, so too does this church. We keep on reading in Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. Which, how many of you were surprised that uh, the world didn't end yesterday? Um, you know, September 23rd was the uh, reputed date, uh, most recent reputed date of, of uh, the world coming to an end. Um, and just always know if people say it's going to be a day, it's not. It's just, it's not. Jesus himself, no one knows the day except for the Father in heaven. So anytime someone says it's going to happen on that day, I just kind of mark it. Well, I guess it's not that day. But the Lord is going to come back. And uh, I don't know if I'm going to survive by the end of that day. Uh, But in Revelation chapter 1, it's interesting how the church is described and churches are described. If you'll uh, scroll on down to uh, Revelation up on top, um, there's this vision that John has of God in Revelation chapter 1, verse 12. And I turned to see the voices speaking to me. And turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. In the midst of the lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. This is like Jesus in judgment. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw on my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. This gives us a tension that Jesus is in the midst of the churches. These lampstands, these Angels, these messengers. And notice as we keep on reading in Revelation chapter 2, it says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance. And you see in throughout that letter that he repeats to one church after one church, I know your works. I know Your toil. I know what's going on in the churches. Why? Because the churches is the object of divine concern. And it is for God to be working in us, to be helping us, to have the Spirit of God, to separate what is not of the Spirit of God and what is grime that we apply. He is constantly at work within this. But then there's also the words of comfort that comes from this. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 through 31. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. For you, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are of much value to the father. 
to understand that God knows us, that we belong to him. There is the judgment aspect of it, but there's also certainly the care of God and helping this person, this church that belongs to the Lord, that, that he is working within us, therefore we're to work out what God is doing within us. We keep on reading in Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. By your words, you will be condemned, are justified. In other words, God is paying attention. It's, it's interesting. Um, we have opened up this, uh, these facilities from time to time for homeowner association uh, meetings. And uh, we had one community uh, that said, you know, we've enjoyed using your facilities. Because we find that the homeowner association meetings are not nearly as contentious. Nearly, people are kind of scared to get loud and angry in the church building. I thought, well, okay, that's a good thing, I suppose. But here's the thing. From reading the Word of God, it's not the building that's the church, is it? The building's owned by the church for purposes that it determines. So the speech that we give to one another isn't, be, isn't that needs to be special because we're in the building. That the speech that we give to one another is special because we're saying it to the church. That there should be a holy, edifying speech that we say to one another. And that when we say judgment and lying and, and contentious things and tearing people down with this that's not of the truth, that that is something that God sees, he is aware of, and God is invested in us. And so we recognize that we are the object of divine concern. Work out with fear and trembling what God is working in us, understanding that it is God who is doing so for his good pleasure. You know, we uh, have a Teenager drives the car, and so we, uh, we just try to make a car available. You know, we try to, I don't know if we'll be able to do this, but have a car available for the drivers that we have in our family. So right now there's three. So we have three cars, and, and so there's one car we just say, all right, this is the car that you can drive. And, and, and she likes to say, it's my car, it's my car. But I've noticed some differences, though, that she doesn't always say, my car. Usually when there's needing gas... Are some car repair, oil changing. Uh, your car needs some work. And she's learning that there is a, a, a beauty in saying that it's not mine, that it belongs to someone else. Listen, as a church, it's not my church, it's God's church. It belongs to Him. And He will work. And He will do. And listen, so too with your body. One of the things I share with people when I visit them in the hospital, uh, and I, I say to you, you know what? Your body belongs to God. God knows what's going on. Let's just pray and ask God to work out and help bring the necessary treatment for His body when His body belongs to the Lord. And so there is a beauty in surrendering your body, surrendering your church, your community, surrendering your town and say, God, this is your town. I want to give it to you. Let him work out what God is working in. We keep on reading verse 14 and 15. 
Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. How does this happen? Because we're holding fast, verse 16. Holding fast to something. So first we need to understand that not only as a church we recognize that we are objects of divine concern, but as a church we recognize that we are divine representatives in a dark world. Divine representatives in a dark world. It's interesting what the Word of God spotlights and says, this is different. This is different. What does he say separate us? Verse 14. No grumbling or questioning. Isn't that interesting? It's not the fact that you don't drink. It's, it, it's not bringing out all the various moral qualities of a Christian. He says, you're not grumblers. You're not questioning. Isn't that strange? But that's what he says. This is what allows people to see something different. Because it's fairly normal as you go through your day to hear the complaints of the day. How many complaints have you heard coming here today? Maybe from yourself. This root to say that we're not going to grumble has a spiritual root of thankfulness, of seeing what God is doing around us and trusting in God's authority over us and say, I'm not going to question these things. I'm just not going to grumble. I believe that God is in charge and He is at work. And so let me see where He's working and let me thank God for those things. It's interesting, the word, uh, without complaining, the word gungusman. It's an onomatopoeia. You know what that is? It's to say it sounds like what it is. You know? Guzman. It's just this idea of I'm complaining. And I'm murmuring. and I've just got this characteristic about me. Do all things without this. This builds into disputing or more intense head-to-head with suspicious undertones that comes with grumbling or questioning. Your translation might say disputing. It's a a lesser to greater where the questioning, disputing is a little bit more severe with suspicious undertones. So this instead produces, if you avoid these things, in the midst of a crooked, twisted, it's the word scoliosis, it's this idea that it's, it's, it's not lined right. But when we live this way, we will shine as lights in the world. It would be wonderful if our town leaders could say, you know, there's believers in our town. They've just got a great spirit about them. Those are the ones that aren't complaining all the time. Wouldn't that be wonderful for that to be said? Those are the ones that are not questioning all the time. I wonder what gives them pause to not, to they always have a thankful spirit. Why, why, why do they not question and the answer simply must be that because they believe that there is a God in charge of all things. And he is at work. So why complain? Why question? There's a story of a church in West Virginia. Where a fight broke out between the pastor and deacons about whether or not the passing offering plate should be passed. <laughs> and this argument grew until they went outside where a fight broke out 
the neighbors heard the noise and called the police. They were handcuffed and brought before the judge, who, to humiliate them, sent a guard to be stationed in their service with the 38. Can you imagine that? I wish I was making that up. But it's not. The problem is when the people of the church take the means of the world and say, we're going to settle things this way. And the church becomes the laughing stock. If you ever watch a TV TV show and a character comes on and he's either a deacon, a preacher, or a priest, is he a good guy or a bad guy? He's the bad guy. Have y'all noticed? I, I noticed things like that. <laughs> like, oh, come on. You know? It used to be the lawyer, right, George? It used to be the lawyer, but now, no, it's the, it's the preacher. As soon as the preacher comes on, well, he's going to be a hypocrite. He's going to be judgmental. He's going to be bad. It is the common view of the world to say these are the bad ones. Regardless of how the world sees us, we are to be shining as lights in a crooked world. Don't expect them to get it, but one of the things that makes the difference in your community, in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, in your church, is to say, I'm going to do all things without grumbling or questioning. How can I do that? Because I believe that God is working in me, and I'm going to work out. I've got to focus enough on what God is doing in me. Keep on reading. There's so much more here. We keep on, and we see in verse 15, a church, how can they do that? They're, they're, they're doing something. They're, verse 15 and 16, they're, they're holding fast to the word of life. How is it they're doing things without grumbling and questioning? How are they shining this way? It's because they're holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, they may be proud. They did not, uh, Paul may be proud that they did not run in vain or in labor in vain. Holding fast to the word of life. So a church recognizes that they are distributors of the divine word. Do we recognize that we are the ones distributing with the words of God by what we say and how we live? I think sometimes we lose sight of that because, well, if Green Pines doesn't exist, well, then there's the church down the road. There's the Bethlehem. There's the Cross Point. There's a Sojourn Church that's popping up. There is, I mean, we just think, okay, someone else will do it. God has called you and will hold you responsible for the sphere of influence you are in to distribute the word of God. Which means that you live, you hold fast, first you live what you know to be God's word. Live by it before we present it to others. It's a statue of liberty. It has on the base of the statue of liberty the poem, the new Colossus. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here our sea-washed sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name mother of exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep ancient lands, you stored pomp cries, she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shores. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. 
This was penned in 1883 to demonstrate a role that was seen for our country. It is a role that flows out of the Christian perspective of who is the world rejecting. Those are the ones that we want to stand up for and demonstrate the love of Christ to. Those who this world rejects, Christ receives if they will come to him. What does that look like for our Nightdale, for our town, for every believer to be as the Statue of Liberty, holding forth the light of the Word of God and saying, if you will come to this Word of God, there is hope for me, there can be hope for you. It means you live life free of shame because it's been freed by the Word of God. To say, yes, there has been sin in life, it's, it's messed me up, but I've seen that the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ died for my sins and has given me freedom, given me a new opportunity with God to say, that is my hope. That can be offered as well to anyone. We are to stand as the statues of liberty say that the freedom comes in Christ and in his word. It's something we live out. Paul says, do this please. I beg of you, do this, so that I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Football season, right? Watched some games yesterday, unfortunately. None of my teams won. Some of you are proud of that, glad of that. Um, But you know, one of the most aggravating plays is when uh, someone receives the, the punt the kickoff return man runs and he runs, amazing. The blockers are all there, the wedge has been formed, and, and all the blocks are there so that they can run and get almost to the end zone, or in the end zone. And you see this, and there's this crowd, this celebration of, yes, we've made a touchdown, and then there is the yellow flag thrown out. Yellow flag, and there's just a groan, because the yellow flag, someone held someone someone did a penalty and all that running all that effort it's absolutely in vain and you go back way back he says paul is saying look i've i've labored i've shared the gospel with you jesus christ has provided salvation for you and you know the gospel but if you don't hold fast the word of god if you don't let it live in your life if you don't read the word of god and let god speak to you and through you, then all this effort to change society for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't hold fast the word of God, then all this is getting called back. Paul is saying, hold fast to the word of life. So in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in labor, or vain, or labor in vain. Verse 17 and 18, I'll just quickly say, church recognizes leaders who reflect the divine nature. Verse 17 18, Paul gives himself testimony of how he is being poured out and teaching the word of God as a sacrificial offering of your faith. He is pouring out to make sure they hear the word of God. And then he goes on with another example of Timothy charging him to do the same thing, to have genuine concern for their welfare, their spiritual welfare for their church. And then he gives an example of Epaphroditus. Again, another one who's been distressed at this and and where they are at in the Word of God. He gives example after example of these men who are trying to serve 
with the word of God. That as, as a church, as believers, we also are to serve with the word of God. It's amazing how service will change hearts. Ted Enstrom, in a, in a book, Fine Art of Friendship, talked about a paralyzed husband. He's, he's writing as a paralyzed husband to his unborn child. He writes this letter to his unborn child. He says, your mother is very special. Few men know what it's like to receive appreciation for taking their wives out to dinner when it tells what it does for us. It means that she has to dress me, shave me, brush my teeth, comb my hair, will me out of the house, down the steps, open the garage, put me in the car, take the pedals off the chair, stand me up, sit me in the seat of the car, twist me around so that I'm comfortable, fold the wheelchair, put it in the car, go around to the other side of the car, start it up, back it out, get out of the car, pull the garage door down, get back in the car, drive off to the restaurant, then it starts all over again. She gets out of the car, unfolds the wheelchair, opens the door, spins me around, stands me up, sits me in the wheelchair, pushes the pedals out, closes and locks the door, wheels me into the restaurant, and then takes the pedals off the wheelchair so I won't be uncomfortable. We sit down to have dinner, and she feeds me throughout the entire meal. When it's over, she pays the bill, pushes the wheelchair out to the car again, and reverses the same routine. When it's all over, finished, with real warmth, she'll say, Honey, Thank you for taking me out to dinner. I never know quite what to say. I present to you that we have a God who is constantly serving us, giving us his spirit, sacrificing of himself, giving us peace, giving us his words of life, instructing us not just in, in the words here, but as we go with the words. And he makes us the object of divine concern. And there will be a day and time where amazingly God will say, thank you for holding forth the word of life. Thank you for shining as lights in a dark world. And we will say to him, but it was you, O Lord, who was working in, in our hearts, your salvation, and we've been just working it out with fear and trembling. Green pines shine as lights in the darkness. And it starts knowing that you are the object of God's concern. He's got his eyes on us. And he's called us to be divine representatives in a dark world. And he said, I want you to be a distributor of the divine word. Hold forth recognize any people that he's put in your life that have reflected the divine nature and duplicate that. Serve the Lord. Let's pray.